Well, let's get right into this new series that we start today, a series on the parables of Jesus. I'm so excited about this this, uh, series. I hope that it feeds your soul as much as it's fed mine already. I'm going to start off by asking you a question. Who is your favorite Bible preacher? Who is your favorite? Don't answer the question because, you know, that's a rhetorical kind of question. Just th- Actually, I love Alistair Begg. I am an Alistair Begg guy. I love him. I, 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 he's, he, he, break, he has a way of breaking the Bible down and explaining it to me that just energizes my mind and my soul. He also has this really cool Scottish brogue, if you've never heard it. And he's got a great sense of humor, and that just keeps me entertained and interested. I love Chip Ingram. There's a parenting class going on. Uh, John is leading it, but we're using teaching from Chip Ingram about parenting on Wednesday nights. If you missed it, you need to be part of it. We had a great time Wednesday night, by the way. The place was packed, a lot of energy, kids running all over the place. I like that. I like stumbling over kids while I'm trying to make my way through the hallways. That's a good thing. But we had a great time. Thank you, Brian and Savannah, for your tremendous leadership, and Michelle as well for your tremendous leadership there. Uh, I love Chip Ingram because he has a way of uh, of explaining the Bible and helping me learn how to apply it in my in my life. I really like that. I, there's this other guy that I've come across the last couple of years, a guy named Paul Washer. <laughs> I really like Paul Washer, and if you haven't heard him yet, I posted something on my Facebook not long ago about him, but you need to check this guy out. That boy don't play. He doesn't play. He'll come right at you with the Word of God. He'll challenge you to stop playing those spirit, those religious games. He'll challenge you to surrender your whole life to God. Listening to Paul Washer is, for me, like getting a spiritual throat punch. And I like that. I want to be jolted out of my complacency. We all need to be jolted out of our complacency sometimes, don't we? But as good as those guys are, and as good as your favorite preacher is, They can't preach like Jesus. They can't preach like Jesus. Nobody ever preached like Jesus. Even the critics of Jesus said no one, no one ever spoke as this man speaks. I mean, still today, 2,000 years later, when you read Christ's sermons, you marvel at their power to quicken your heart. You marvel at the ability Jesus has Words that you're reading, recorded 2,000, you're, you're, you marvel at, at how He's able to challenge your mind and transform your soul through His messages. His words were always clear and they were always colorful. Jesus spoke of camels crawling through the eye of a needle. He spoke of people trying to remove specks from the eyes of others when they had this great big beam in their own eye. Jesus talked about houses being divided against themselves that were destined to tumble down. Jesus warned us about the yeast of the Pharisees. His language was colorful and it was clear. But Jesus really gets our attention. He really grabs us when He uses parables to illustrate His sermons. Now here's what a parable is, simply put. A parable is a story taken from real life from which we draw a spiritual truth. Some people say it this way, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Many of us already know some of Christ's parables. You've certainly heard about them because they're scattered throughout the world's literature. We've heard about the prodigal son. We've probably heard about the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Maybe we've heard of the parable of the sheep and the goats, but there are others that are less well known. There are some, around 30 if you will, depending on how you classify them, parables in the Gospels. But each of these parables are powerful, and they are very effective at explaining vitally important truths that help us walk with God in this new relationship we have have with Him. I read this, and I want to share it with you, because I thought it really explained the nature of parables so well. Parables, they often act like truth bombs. They often act like truth bombs that blow up our misconceptions about Christ Blow up our misconceptions about the kingdom of God, about ourselves, about how we should live and what we should value as as citizens of heaven. Parables help us understand how to live on earth as members of a new new creation, uh, 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 as citizens of heaven, citizens of God's kingdom. Now today we're going to begin a new study. We're going to begin the study where it ought to begin with the first parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 13. 
It's called the parable of the sower. We're going to call it the parable of the soil and the seed. In this parable, we find out how the kingdom of God begins in our hearts. What's interesting about this parable is that Christ Himself explains it to us. Not all of of the parables of Christ are explained, but this one is. And in this parable, Jesus compares the preaching of His Word to a farmer who sows seed. The seed is like the Gospel message. The soil is like the human heart, your heart, my heart. And the emphasis of this parable, as Jesus explains it, is this. Various kinds of people who hear the Gospel message will respond to it in different ways. There are basically four groups of people in this room. People with hard hearts. People with shallow hearts. People with strangled hearts. And people with open hearts. When it comes to the Gospel that's being preached this morning, each one of us is going to fall into one of those four categories. That's what this, that's what this parable has to say. You either have a heart that's open to the message, or you have a heart that's completely closed off. You have a heart that embraces it for a time, but your, but your heart is shallow, and the root system won't grow. Or you have a heart that hears the gospel message, embraces it, but it gets choked out by things, by stuff, by concerns. So let's, let's get into this parable a little bit. Let's talk about it. You guys are already getting quiet on me. You're listening, aren't you? I want you to examine your heart with the help of the Holy Spirit as we go through this. Where do I fit in here? What kind of heart do I have? Here we go. Let's read it. It's on the screen above my head. Matthew 13, 1-23. through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around Him that He got into a boat and sat in it while the people stood on the shore. Then He told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear i got to stop right here and, and answer a question that I know some of you, maybe, at least I hope you were asking, why did Jesus use parables? And if you were to go on and, and to read Matthew 13, 9-17, it would give you some insight, but I want to break it down for you real quickly. Here's why Jesus spoke in parables. According to Matthew 13, 9-17, first of all, to fulfill prophecy. When the Messiah came, He was going to teach the people of God using parables. Second reason, Jesus wanted to use these parables to force people to think about the kingdom of God, to think about its priorities, to think about its demands. Do you realize that living in the kingdom of God requires certain things of you? Grace may be free, but it ain't cheap. Number three, Jesus used parables in His teachings to bring people out of their hazy beliefs about the kingdom. And we have a lot of hazy beliefs about the kingdom, don't we? He tells us these parables to bring us out of this haze of what we might believe about the kingdom of God into clarity, into the light, to really understand what the kingdom of God is about and who we are in the kingdom of God and who Christ is, and what we should value, and how we should live. R.C. Sproul said this. He said, Jesus tells these parables to probe inside us to see whether we really understand the Gospel and whether the Gospel is really beginning to transform our lives. They're not just stories. They're weapons in spiritual warfare. Are you ready for the Holy Spirit to probe around a little bit in your heart? 
to help you discover what kind of heart you have when it comes to the gospel? Well, here we go. Let's jump back into the parable of the soil of the seed and the soil. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Lord, take this word and use it to expose our hearts. Use this word, Jesus, to challenge us in what we think about you and what we think about your kingdom and what we think about our place in your kingdom. Use this word to change us, to make us the people you want us to be. Spirit of God, you have the right to examine our hearts here today. You have the right to challenge us. You have the right to convict us. You have the right to move in our, uh, in our lives, to, 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 to point out to us those rocky places that remain, to point out to us uh, those places in our heart where we need some weeding to take place, to point out some, some, some things in us that don't belong in those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ. Get me out of the way, Spirit of God. I want to say only what you want me to say. Nothing more, nothing less. For your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. In this parable, Jesus compares four results of sowing seeds to four responses of the human heart when they hear the gospel message. Everyone in this room is going to fall into one of these four categories. Which heart do you have? First, there is the hard heart. Say that with me. Hard heart. It's like the soil along the path. The ground along the path has been packed down by all the feet that have passed on it for over the years, and the soil is hard, the soil is packed down, and the seed can't sink into the ground. It just lays on the surface until birds come along and snatch it away. Jesus compares the birds to Satan and his workers. And I guarantee you, those of you with a hard heart, as soon as you walk out these doors, there's going to be somebody that's going to snatch the Word of God away from you and say, that's not really right, it's not really true. Let's go do this instead. It'll happen, won't it? Oh, it'll happen. You'll get a phone call. You'll get a Facebook message from somebody that's going to get your mind off what God has clearly said to you today. And you're going to lose out on the blessing and the benefit of the gospel message. What is it? What is it that makes our human hearts so hard toward the gospel? There's only really one answer to that. It's sin. It's sin. Sin hardens the human heart. And it seems like the more we sin, the more we love our sin. It's like this downward spiral, this cycle that goes on in us. Romans chapter 1 talks about it. Romans chapter 1 talks about the hardening effects of sin on the human heart. I'm not going to get into all the details. You can read the chapter for yourself. I've broken it down for you on the screen. Sin begins by suppressing the truth of, about God. Sin begins by suppressing the truth about God. Sin doesn't want you to know about God's sovereignty and His right to rule over your life because He's the one that created you. Sin doesn't want you to know about God's holiness. Sin doesn't want you to know about God's justice. Sin doesn't even really want you to understand what God's divine love is all about. It was His justice and His love that sent Christ to the cross to die for your sin. Sin wants to suppress all of that. He wants you to, sin wants to, you to keep thinking about yourself, about what you want, not about what God, God wants and what God expects and what God demands. Sin then goes on and, and leads us into deeper spiritual ignorance and greater moral wickedness. Sin keeps us ignorant about God and spiritual truth. And it creates in us 
just an open door to plunge headlong into moral insanity and wickedness and degradation, immorality, violence. Sin goes on, and then eventually, as sin hardens our hearts, we wind up not only practicing it, but we'll approve it and say it's good. Anybody see a little bit of America in all of this? We certainly see the hardening effect of sin on the human heart in America today, in our culture. Sins that are openly practiced and even celebrated today just a few years ago were unthinkable. They were shameful just a few years ago. Premarital sex, living together before marriage, and divorce were considered scandalous. Not all that long ago. Gay was a word that meant happy or joyful. And condoning homosexuality, let alone celebrating it, that would have been inconceivable to us just a few years ago. But now, things have flipped upside down, haven't they? We're told not only are we to accept these things, but we're now to embrace these things and approve these things or be prepared to pay the price if you don't. These things are now being openly practiced and approved even in our churches. A letter went out just this week from Methodist churches to the LGBTQ plus community apologizing for the recent vote of the, of the uh, International Methodist Church that uh, refused to admit Methodist pastors in their pulpits. But we have a group of churches who are apologizing for that clear stand, that clear biblical stand that their church took. Well, this is where we're at. But it doesn't just apply, seriously, listen to me, it doesn't just apply to corporate structures, it applies to us as individuals. I was talking with somebody just this morning. We have a tendency, come on, a personal tendency, to tell ourselves, I will never do that. I will never cross that line. It makes me sick to think about me doing that. How many of you know you're going to end up crossing that line someday if you keep going the way you're going? Because your heart gets hardened to it. I've sat in my office and talked to people who said, I will never, ever put a needle in my arm. Weeks later, I was doing their funeral because they put a needle in their arm. So don't fool yourself. Sin will have a hardening effect not only on our culture, not only on our churches. It's going to have a hardening effect on you. You know why? The Bible tells us why, why sin has its way with us and why it hardens our hearts the way it does. And it's simply this. We love it. We love sin. Sin, men prefer darkness rather than light, John says. We love it. And it hardens our hearts. The more we sin, the more we love it. It's just the way it is with us. That's really the simple, powerful message of Romans chapter 1. People love sin rather than God. And sin hardens their hearts to the truth of God. So when the gospel message is preached... Their heart is too hard for the seed of the gospel to penetrate. And it lays on the surface. Never goes down into the, into the soil of their heart. And the devil comes along and snatches it away. You see, the, 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 gospel, the gospel message is simply this. It's the good news that God wants all men everywhere to repent and to be saved from the penalty and power of their sin. The Bible goes on to say that we're all sinners. We're all in that same boat. None of us is exempt from that. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. It goes on to say that the wages of sin is death. But the Bible also tells us there is hope. There's a, a means of rescue, if you will. God sent His Son, Christ Jesus, to die in our place, to pay sin's penalty for us, to break the power of sin in our life. And the Gospel message tells us the only way, say only way, Thank you very much. Only way to benefit from Christ's gracious sacrifice is by 
turning away from sin and making Christ Savior and Lord. That's the only way. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. It's the only way to be saved. But the reality is the hearts of so many of us are simply too hardened by our sin to accept God's gracious offer. We simply love sin too much. Even when we know it's killing us. How many people have we talked to, Cindy? They know if they keep going, it's going to kill them. It doesn't stop them from it, though. They just keep going and plunge headlong over the cliff that they know lies just ahead because they love, simply love their sin too much. I talk to people like that all the time. They, they basically respond to the gospel this way. They basically respond to God's offer of forgiveness just like this. They may not say it in these words, but they say it by their actions and by their rejection. They say this, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I do believe that He died for sinners like me. But I guess I just don't want to give my life to Him right now. I want to go on living life my way. Now, they may not say it quite that way, but that is essentially their response. They're saying, really, bullet down. Here's what they're saying. I love my sin too much to surrender to Christ right now. I'll wait till tomorrow. Tomorrow may never come. Tomorrow may never come. Jesus said, today's the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Now listen, I hope that doesn't describe your heart today. I hope, I hope you're not a person with a hard heart, but I do want the Holy Spirit to examine you right now. I want you to open up and say, okay, God, is this me? Because if it is, if you find yourself today with a hardened heart, I want to share one verse with you. Romans chapter 2, verse 6 says this, to those of you who would say, honestly, I've got a hard heart, man. I've heard the gospel time after time after time, but it's never done anything for me. It's never changed my life one bit. Listen, here's, what's got, here, here's what the Lord is saying to you today. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Listen. Listen to the Word of God today. The second kind of soil represents the shallow heart. The shallow heart. Jesus described the shallow heart as rocky ground that's been covered with a thin layer of soil. And when the seed fell on it, it sank in, but only to a shallow depth. The seed sprang up quickly, but when the sun's heat began to bear down on it, the seed quickly faded away because it had no roots. i got to tell you something, guys. A lot of people today fit that description. We see them with their shallow hearts come into churches like ours. They've been attracted by the joy and the excitement of all that God is doing. They hear the Gospel. They seem to fit in. They, they come to the altar. They sing our songs. They say a prayer. They even get baptized and join the, true, join the church. But then something happens. Something happens. They experience some kind of difficulty. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's a personality conflict with somebody else in the church. Maybe it's a romance gone bad. Can I get an amen? Maybe it's hurt feelings. <laughs> Whatever happens, they just as suddenly as they came in, and just as suddenly as it appeared to us, they embraced the message of the gospel and were being changed by just as suddenly as all that happened, they're gone. Not only gone to another church, that's cool if they do that. I got no problem with that. A good church, Bible. But I mean, they're gone. They're, they're, they're back in the streets. They're, they're back in the places they knew God had saved them from. They're like a dog returning to their vomit, if you will. That's, that's Jesus' words, not mine. Shallow hearts. Shallow hearts. They seem to have embraced the gospel, but they fall away altogether from him. 
And I'm just going to throw this out there, perhaps because they were never really born again to begin with. You see, the gospel, hear me, hear me, hear me. Hear my heart in this. I'm a, I, the gospel doesn't just change you in shallow and superficial ways. The gospel won't just change the way you spend your time on a Sunday morning. When the gospel really takes root, when the gospel really takes root, it will change the way you spend your time every day. When, when the gospel really takes root, it will change the way you talk on Monday to your coworkers, not just how you talk around other Christian believers on a Wednesday night. I mean, the roots of the gospel go deep, deep. Changes everything. When the gospel of Christ really takes root, everything changes. It flips you right side up. Not just outwardly. You don't just start wearing Christian t-shirts and have a Jesus fish on your, on your car. I mean, you start to, I was talking to Sean. I got to say it, Sean. I, I, I'm gonna, I was going to hold back, but I'm not now. Okay. We were talking earlier. Sean, Sean was talking about his response to a policeman back in the day, back before he met Christ. And he said every time he came across a policeman, two things were going to happen. Either he was going to run... Or they were going to get into it. That's what you said, right? I don't even know that Sean anymore. Because everything about Sean has changed. The Sean I, I know sits on the front pew, if you will. You know that, you know that for your brother? <laughs> I'm telling you. The gospel is not just a shallow, superficial thing that takes... I mean, everything about you changes. The way you think, the way you speak, the way you act, the way you respond to situations, and everything changes. Now, it's over... Uh, it is a process, a work process. It is over time, but that is the point of the gospel, to save you and then to create in you the character of Christ. Fruit takes time. But you're going to change if the gospel has its roots in you. Does that make sense? It's what 1 Corinthians chapter 5.17 says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old, it's gone, baby. The new has come. The new has come. That's the power of the gospel. But it only happens when the gospel really has taken root in your life and is growing. It will change you as it grows. Alright. The third type of soil stands for the strangled heart. The strangled heart. Verse 22 says, The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Alright. Everybody get your, get your feet out so I can see them, so I can step on them. It just goes without saying that many in our culture, and maybe some of you fall into this category, we're so busy chasing the dollar, we can't find time to chase the Lord. We're so concerned about keeping up with the Joneses that we forget our main concern is to make sure we're following Jesus. We're so focused on getting more of this world's stuff that we lose our focus on heaven. I'll be honest with you, and this is going to sound really awful, and I, I don't mean this to be hurtful, I, I really hope it helps. It seems that most people I know, most people I know, make decisions based on the financial advantages rather than its spiritual effects. I'm going to say that again, because some of you are struggling with that right now. Most people I know make decisions based on its financial advantages rather than its spiritual effects. If they had to choose between a new job that gives them a $5 an hour raise, but takes them away from home and church, they'll take the raise every time. 
Is that true or not? Most people I know make decisions based on its financial advantages rather than its spiritual effects. If you can get a raise, doesn't matter what it may cost you spiritually, I'm going after the raise, baby. I don't care what effect it might have on my family. I don't care if it pulls them out of their classes at church. It doesn't matter to me because I'm going after the money. Boy, does Jesus warn us about that or not? You can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. You've got to make a choice. Who are you going to serve? How does a man, what does a man gain when he forfeits his soul to gain the world? And it's not that finances aren't important. God knows we need them. Thank God my wife got a job this week. Hallelujah. I get to eat for the next few months. That's awesome. I like to eat. I'm addicted to food. It's not that finances aren't important. It's just that our spiritual well-being, the condition of our souls, is far more important. Everything else pales in comparison to making sure that our souls are healthy and whole. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. Listen, if you keep God first, then God takes care of everything. You finding that out? Don't ever forget that lesson. If you make Jesus first, keep Him and His kingdom first in your life, He takes care of He'll take care of your kids. He'll take care of your bank account. He'll take care of your employment situation. He'll take care of your career. But you've got to keep Him first. That's the priority always, yes. Sweet. Hang on to it. Hang on to it. Hang on to it. Let me just... just A love for money, this has been my experience. I, I know it firsthand. I've experienced it myself. A love for money and the things it can buy is a lot like weeds. It grows up gradually, but before you know it, it has absolutely choked the spiritual life out of you. It's become your obsession. It's become your idol. I want you to please, please, please be aware of a strangled heart. This culture preaches at us constantly that you are what you drive. You are what you wear. You are the jewelry you own. Nonsense. Nonsense. You are who Christ says you are. You're complete in Him. Alright, fourth kind of soil. The fourth kind of soil represents the open heart. And I hope this is where most of you fit, but that's between you and the Holy Spirit this morning. The open heart. The open heart is the heart that receives the gospel message like good soil receives good seed. It produces a good crop in due time. Matthew 13, 23, Jesus says, it yields in due time a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Now, this could really bring us to a number of minor points that I could throw out there, so let me go ahead and throw a couple of them out. This parable says that we should expect only a fraction of the people we share the gospel with to really be saved. I, I, I can't. Jesus didn't. Why should I expect everyone who hears the sound of my voice and hears a clearly preached message from the Word of God, how could I expect all of you to walk out of here and embrace that gospel message and be saved and changed by it? I couldn't do that. Because it's really not up to me, is it? So I can't expect all of you, no matter how many gospel messages you hear from me or someone else, I can't expect all of you to be saved. That's, that's, uh, that's beyond my pay grade. Another minor point I could bring up is this, that the only real, and I want you to hear this one, because it's true, the only real evidence a person is saved is that they truly do change. And they do produce spiritual fruit. I want you to write this down. This is good, right here. No gospel roots, no spiritual fruit. Even, absolutely true. No gospel roots, no spiritual fruit. 
The only real evidence that a person has truly embraced the gospel is the fact that they're being changed, that their lives are being transformed, that they are in the process now of becoming like Christ. Now, the third, the third point I want to point out is this. It's not the amount of spiritual fruit that's important. It's the presence of it that really matters. It's not the amount. It's said that some produced 100, some 60, some 30. We're all at different stages in our development, so I have no right to look at Chris and say, well, you're not as far developed as I am, so brother, you're not saved. That's not my judgment to make, is it? I don't sit on the throne of heaven. Make That's for the Lord to decide. But what I should be able to do is that Chris should be able to look at me and see if I am making progress in my life with Christ. Am I, am I becoming more Christ-like in my life? Am I putting away sin? Am I embracing the righteousness that Christ has clothed me in? Am I doing away with all the untruthful speech and the, 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 the sinful attitudes and, and all that come with that stinking thinking of the past? Am, am I putting on the mind of Christ? Am I becoming more like Jesus in the way I say things, in the way I do things? That's what matters. Not the amount of it. It's about the progress, not the perfection. We say that a lot, right? That's evidence that your heart is open to the gospel, that you are embracing it, that that gospel and its grace is changing you and transforming you. Those are three minor points I wanted to throw out. Here's the main point, though. This is the main point. The main point of this parable is that only the open heart will receive the full benefit of the gospel message. Only those who have open hearts to the gospel can fully enjoy the blessings and the benefits that flow to us through that gospel. It's only an open heart that will experience the life that Jesus came to give us. It's only the open heart that will experience growth more becoming a life that pleases the Lord. It's only those with open hearts that will enjoy a life that's becoming more like Jesus. It's only an open heart that fully embraces the Gospel that will enjoy this life, this life that's abundant and free, this life that Jesus promised us in John 10.10 when He said the thief comes only to kill steal and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I don't know where you are. How many of you want a full life? You need an open heart. Some of us, we're so far short of what God wants to do for us, man. Paul spoke to, he, 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 he was talking to, to, a, to a church back in the day, and he said, some of you ought to be teachers of the Word, but you're like babies. I'm having to give you milk. Why? Because their hearts weren't open. And they weren't growing. And they weren't moving forward in their progress. Of, listen, don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. The main point of this parable is that only the open heart will receive the full benefit. I want all that Jesus has for me, man. I'll take His Gospel and I want it to change me. I want it to root out all those negative thoughts and attitudes. I want it to change every hurtful and hateful action, attitude, uh, behavior that I have. I want everything about me to be changed. I want its roots to sink so deep into me, there's no way the devil's ever going to yank it out. Only an open heart produces a life of fruitfulness and abundance to the glory of God. And my prayer is that everyone, everyone in this room would seek the Lord for an open heart. We'll change the world. We'll change more than just Calera, Alabama. If we have open hearts and let God do in us everything He wants to do, oh my goodness, Katie, bar the door. It's on. We're changing the world. Is your heart an open heart? Is your heart an open heart? Are you receptive to the Word of God? Do you embrace the truth of the Gospel? 
Do you strive to put it into practice, to apply it when you hear it? Do you permit His Word to settle down into your heart? Do you let His Word turn you from sin? See, I have too many conversations with people who say, the Lord's speaking to me about this, but I can't do that right now. You don't know what you're doing to yourself. You have just stopped any further growth in your development with the Lord when the Lord speaks to you and you say, oh, I can't do that right now. Well, He's not going to take you any further. That's it. And then you keep hitting your head against that same wall over and over and over and wonder why. Your heart's shut off, man. Your heart's shut off. Open it up. Do you permit His Word to settle down into your heart? Do you permit His Word to turn you from sin? Do you permit His Word to direct all of your affections toward Jesus? Do you allow, permit the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Maybe in a moment of honesty, some of you might say, man, I don't think I do. I'll be honest with you, Pastor Moore. I don't think I, don't think I do. I wish my heart was open like that, but I'm just afraid it's hard, it's shallow, it's strangled by this world stuff. What can I do? What can I do to get an open heart? And here's what I'm going to tell you to do. You can't do anything. There's only one person, only one person can give you an open heart. And it's not you, it's God. God alone, God alone can take that stony heart that keeps you from fully experiencing the benefits of the Gospel of Christ. He's the only one that can give you a new heart, a heart made of flesh, a heart that's responsive to Him, a heart that fully embraces the Gospel. Listen to what God said in the book of Ezekiel. To His people back then, I think He's still saying it to us today. God said, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Listen, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God alone can give you an open heart. But you know all you got to do is what? Ask. 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 But beware when you ask Him to give you an open heart. <laughs> He's like a divine gardener. you got a hard heart, He'll come in with His plow and start breaking up the hardness in your heart. That's how some of you ended up in jail. That's how some of you ended up with your kids in foster homes. God took His plow and ran it right through your heart to break up that ground. Now you may not have asked, follow me here, you may not have asked God for an open heart, but I bet you had a mom or a grandmother or somebody that did. Hmm? Somebody was praying that God would give you an open heart. And He did. And it hurt. God acts like a divine gardener. Sometimes He conditions the soil of our heart in order to make it become fruitful. You know what we condition soil with today, don't you? Manure. It stinks. You hate to handle it. it looks sometimes a lot like suffering and hardship and adversity. But God will use those things, according to Romans 8.28, for your good and His glory. Amen? Some of you are here today because God got His, what do they call those things? Not a shovel, but the, the huh? The, well, not a tiller, it's a, the four, the prong thing where you turn the soil. What? Pitchfork, thank you. Maybe it was a hoe, I don't know. Started working that soil and putting that manure in. You're like, what are you doing to me, Lord? And he's saying, I'm having to condition your soil because right now you're too shallow. I want your roots to go deeper. You ought to thank him. When it... <laughs> One day we're going to stand in heaven and we're going to thank him for every bit of suffering we went through because we're going to see his hand in it and we'll be giving him glory for it because it was that suffering that created in us a hunger for Christ.
and did its work in us to make us like Christ. That's another... That's Some of those favorite preachers wouldn't preach that, but I do. That divine gardener sometimes, he's got to do some weeding. Your life's, the spiritual life's being choked out by the deceitfulness of wealth. Sometimes God's got to do a little weeding in your life. By the way, somebody needs to do some weeding out there. In the, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Weeding, man. Pull weeds up by the root. Some of us are trying to clip weeds off without pulling the root out. How's that working for you? Comes right back. God's going to get the root of that weed out. But sometimes we're holding on to it. You know how the root, the weed, the root of a weed will sometimes get entangled around the root of the healthy plant? And some of us are hanging on to some weeds that we need to let go of. Whether it's materialism, whether it's uh, whatever, maybe people pleasing or whatever. I'm telling you, you better be careful when you ask God to give you an open heart. Because when the gardener starts working, it can get painful. But in the end, oh my goodness, it's so good. And that's when the fruitfulness comes. That's why (laughs) I'm going to use Cindy as an illustration again. I hate to do that, but I'm going to. Cindy has gone through 16 years now of of uh, of, of gardening effort. I mean, the devil's, I mean, the, not the devil, the Lord has been digging around, conditioning her soil, weeding her flower bed, plowing up hard ground. But you know what I saw last week? I saw her crying tears of joy when her son was up in front of people, performing for the glory of God. She's beginning to get a little foretaste of that abundance and that fruitfulness that God has in mind for her and her family. It's been 16 tough years, but there's far better things yet to come. I'm here just to say this. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what kind of heart you think the Lord says you have. That's between you and the Lord. But what I am going to say is I I pray with all of my heart that you will ask Him for an open heart. There's so much more He wants to do in you. So much more He wants to do through you. This Gospel message needs to go deep. It needs to change everything about you. Don't settle for shallow. You'll be miserable if you settle for shallow. You'll cut and run at the first sign of trouble if you settle for shallow. And don't let the cares and concerns of this world and the deceitfulness of its things choke the spiritual life out of you. You keep yourself in a place where God can do His work in your life. Change you. Change you from the inside out. I'm telling you, many of you guys are beginning now to experience for the very first time the power of the Gospel in your life. It's changing you. It's changing your families. It's changing everything. But there are even greater things to come. Pray for an open heart. Pray for an open heart. That God would keep your heart open. Let's let's bow our heads and pray. Oh, Jesus, we love you so much. Love you so much, Jesus. I want us just to be still before the Lord for a minute. Because I I, I do want you to have some time with the Holy Spirit. I want Him to speak clearly to you about where you're at today. What kind of heart do you have? Is it a heart that's open and receptive to the Gospel? Or is it a heart that's become so hardened by sin? I tell you what, 
in a group like we have this morning, I know there's several out here, your heart is so hard because of the sin in your life. You haven't given one thought to the judgment that lies ahead. You haven't given one thought to the love Christ showed you when He died on the cross to pay the penalty for that sin. And it's as if you are trampling everything He has done under your feet. But I want to remind you, those of you with hard hearts, that the Lord has been patient and kind with you. He's brought you through many dangers, toils, and snares. And yet one more time, He's permitted you to hear a gospel message. And if you embrace that message, if you repent of your sin and believe that what Christ did, He did for you, He'll save you. And He'll begin a new work in you. He'll make you a new person. Give you a new way of seeing things. A new way of living. You don't have to walk out of here with a hard heart. Ask the Lord now to give you an open heart. A heart that embraces the Gospel. A heart that's willing to be changed by the Gospel. Today's the day of salvation. Some of you I know are struggling with shallow hearts. The Gospel's just not able to sink its roots deep into your life. It's not God's not wrought the change in you that He wants. I don't know why. But I bet you you know why. I want to see God flip your world right side up. I want you to have an open heart that eagerly embraces everything the Lord has to say that eagerly puts into practice everything He says you should do. No more playing games. No more going through the motions. But diving headlong into His will and His ways so that your life can benefit, fully benefit from the powerful message of the Gospel that sets you free. And some of you right now are struggling with money, man. You can't get money off your mind. I'm telling you, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be taken care of. Don't let money become your obsession. Don't let the love of money and the things it can get you become an idol to your life. It will destroy you in time. It will choke the spiritual life out of you in time. Pray for God to give you an open heart. An open heart. An open heart that says no to this world and yes to the glory of God.